I V M. Being a writer is an act of immense arrogance. Very few people write as a means of catharsis or self-expression. Most people who write want to be read. and in their act of writing therefore is a presumption that what they are writing brings value to somebody's life think about it every time somebody reads an article written by you they do so when they could be doing a million other things with their time there's an opportunity cost to their time time is money and yet you simply assume that when you write something that is worth that time this is often arrogant and sometimes delusional and it's also true of podcasting you're listening to me speaking right now when you could be doing so many other things is this worth your time welcome to the seen and the unseen our weekly podcast on economics politics and behavioral science please welcome your host amit varma welcome to the seen and the unseen i'm an accidental podcaster and when i started the seen and the unseen i assumed that at worst i'll get laughed at at best i'll get ignored but hey what the hell new experience well i've grown to enjoy podcasting though i've sometimes felt that i'm doing this in a vacuum our numbers are decent for a podcast but why do people listen to this what do they think of the show what could i be doing better also is there any way that instead of me asking questions once in a while i have to answer them and tough ones at that i do the show in partnership with ivm podcasts Uh, we each own 50% of the show and one of the people who works here kavita rajware recently mentioned that she met some people at a music class who are regular listeners of the scene and the unseen so why don't i do an episode where i interact with them i thought this was a good idea it gave me a chance to see if such people actually existed i mean who listens to the show and maybe get some feedback from them and i could expand this into an ama or an ask me anything now conducting an ama for myself itself feels embarrassing because i'm not a celebrity or a man of great accomplishment but i spend so much time pontificating on the world that i thought it would be nice to open myself up to questions including difficult ones i put out a call on twitter and facebook and my noble producer the famous stand up comic abbas momin has compiled all those questions and will shoot them at me but before that a warm welcome to my guests on the show nakul sanpurkar and rachit jain nakul and rachit welcome to the show Thanks, Amit. Glad to be here. Thanks, Amit. Glad to be here. From a listener to now, right here with you, it's great. Right. So, uh, b- before you start asking, I- I'm just like curious how people listen to podcasts. You know, when when I first started podcasting, the reason I called myself an accidental podcaster was I never considered podcasting because I never listened to podcasts. I was not one of those people I, who would listen to podcasts, and uh, um, uh, so it was it was completely new for me. And of course, since I've started podcasting, I listen a lot. But do you guys uh, listen to podcasts a lot, Nakul? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, this is uh, I was introduced to podcasts uh, by my brother in the US when I went to visit him. Uh, I would see him, uh, uh, you know, listening to podcasts on his commute a lot, and that's when uh, I got hooked onto those podcasts. And uh, next thing you know, I've come back to India. I'm listening to those podcasts and looking for you know podcasts based in India on Indian issues, on Indian things. And so that's when I was introduced to IVM and Seen and the Unseen, and uh, that's when I became a regular listener. So for me, it was more like I'd been listening to podcasts on and off for the last two three years, but largely uh, centric to comedy. Where you know comedians do a, do a podcast and a lot of varied stuff, etc. But uh, I guess with respect to IVM and Sinan, Nakul is the one who introduced a lot of us to it. And uh, yeah, but in terms of consumption, it's more or less uh, on our way to work. I was fed up of listening to music. How much more music can listen to all day, right? Uh, so podcast is like a breath of fresh air coming in while you're on your way to work or going back. It's the best utilization of time I think you can do. 
Right. So uh, I'm just relaying the inevitable. Uh, you guys have some <laughs> tough questions for me. Shoot. Nakul, Absolutely, let's start Amit. With you. Yeah. Uh, so since I'm a regular listener here, uh, I've always seen that uh, you know we've uh, most of the episodes are focused on the bad quote-unquote uh, policy making or decisions that uh, governments have taken. You know, like demonetization or jobs or pakoda now makes etc. So. What do you think has been a good policy decision by any previous government, and what do you think have been the the seen and the unseen benefits of those? Okay, that's a great question. I'll have to actually think a bit for that. <laughs> <laughs> We are going in cold, so I haven't seen these questions before. I think the, uh, firstly, the reason uh, I tend to focus on, uh, and everybody, in fact, tends to focus on policies which Absolutely. have a negative effect, is those negative effects are unseen, and therefore you feel a sort of a duty to point out that no, hey, this looks good, this has great intentions, but these are the kind of uh, effects it can have. Uh, as for um, having good effects, um, I would say that. I can't think of something offhand, and you've studied public policy, so maybe you can help me. But anything that I think uh, increases uh, freedom, increases economic freedom, or increases personal freedoms for that matter, yeah. will inevitably have uh, good effects, which are often hard to quantify. I mean, okay, here's here's an easy quantification which people often give. You look at the different fates of East and West Germany. when they right. chose a different baskets of public policy that they chose at the right. separation and did to north and south korea they chose consciously to go in different directions and yeah. follow different kinds of policies and you saw the impact of what economic freedom did in west germany and south korea and uh, the ravages that were brought upon the people of east germany and north korea okay. as a result yeah. of their taking the wrong direction so i guess that's one example uh, while this episode goes on if i think of something i'll uh, bring it up but uh yeah i mean this one tends to keep focusing on all the things government does wrong because it does so much wrong yeah absolutely so yeah uh, my question uh, comes out of a recent pragati podcast which was related to podcasts itself right about how this entire issue of you know discoverability is there uh, podcasts are not so big in india right now and as a alternative content source it's still very very low right people listen to music videos etc so what is your take on that in terms of you know we are obviously far lagging behind in terms of the indicators in the us for that but what will it require in india to change that you know behavioral uh, shift for consuming podcasts as an alternative platform great question uh, uh, i should tell those of my listeners who are wondering what rachit is referring to this is an episode of the pragati podcast which is a great show hosted by pavan srinath and hamsani hari har and my colleagues at pragati and uh, they spoke to amit doshi of ivm podcast right. and, uh, and it's, it's a very enlightening conversation so just um, check that out either on the ivm app or on thinkpragati.com uh, but to answer your question i think here's the thing india doesn't have a, a culture of talk radio uh that much is uh, which is why even i was uh, very skeptical of podcasts uh, you know i was an early blogger uh, 15 16 years ago but i was not an early podcaster because i thought kon sunta hai yeah. and i assumed that that's a cultural thing that talk radio was big in the us and whatever but in india it simply isn't now amit when he was amit doshi when he was trying to convince me to do this show yes. or to do a show with him uh his spiel to me was that look research has shown across the world across cultures 30% of the people who listen to audio content prefer talk to music 30% and because wow. th- these are findings from across the world and across yeah. cultures yeah. uh that means that there's something hardwired that a certain number of us just prefer yes. talk to music Absolutely. which is and 30% uh, doesn't seem like much but 30% of a lot of people is a lot and uh, so therefore uh, then that raises a question why hasn't talk taken off in india and one reason for this is that there's just been a vicious cycle where no one's tried to supply it 
and therefore they haven't been listeners and because they haven't been listeners no one's tried to supply it and what i think ivm podcast is doing with amit and uh, so on is is trying to break that and saying that no you know uh, screw what the f- numbers are right now i'm going to try and give you great audio content with all these yes. d- variety of different shows yeah. and um, and let's build an audience and basically try to break that vicious circle and turn it into a virtuous circle right so people yeah. just just to uh, add on there hmm. so uh, for you personally then you know let's say amit doshi is doing a hmm. fantastic job obviously bringing hmm. content to all of hmm. us hmm. but for you personally you know you spoke about opportunity cost right, right. for you as well you could be writing another you know column somewhere or you know you can be writing another book and devoting your time towards that what made you you know say you said that you know one one, one of the factors was this entire data which you had in front of you that you know people will listen but to get into the industry at such a nascent stage what made you do that right so like i said i was an accidental podcaster <laughs> so what really happened was there's a very very close friend of mine a dear friend of mine called narendra shinoy and narendra shinoy hosts a show called simplified yeah, with yeah, yeah. Uh, deepak gopalakrishnan uh, right now they have a third co-host but it was a two of them when they started and they started on their own they went with ivm and one day one of them put up um, something on facebook saying that hey we've joined up with ivm and we are doing this and all that and i just put a note of congratulations at which point amit replied to my comment amit doshi and said that you know a few months ago i approached to you and said would you be interested in a podcast and you said no you think you'd be interested now and i absolutely didn't remember anyone approaching me but my attitude towards podcast was very condescending like who the hell is trying to listen through this right. so so i said yeah okay let's talk and we met up and all that and i told him that one idea i had for a tv show at this time was a scene in the unseen uh, the scene in the unseen by the way is based on a famous essay by frederick bastia that which is seen okay. and that which is not seen where okay. he talks about um, a particular public policy and why everyone faces yeah. it but you l- need to look at the unseen effects so i thought that's a great um, sort of framework to look at the whole yeah. world by um, yeah. like henry hazlitt wrote a great book a few decades ago called economics in one lesson which just looked at different aspects of the economy through this framework so i said look here's an idea i had for tv and he said why don't you do a podcast and i said okay and here's the thing yeah. when you speak of opportunity cost uh for me to do a tv show out of this would actually take a lot of coordination and a lot of money because yes. who's going to do it where do you put together the thing how do i look on camera you know i <laughs> I, i tell people i have a classic <laughs> podcaster's face uh, so uh, but on the other hand uh, after the first few episodes where you'll see that i'm a little self conscious and i'm trying all kinds of things after that one sort of settles down into a groove when you start uh, having great conversations and right. sort of um, learning from it so it was kind of accidental and like like most things in life you know most things in life aren't <laughs> things you decide to do they just the good things are yes absolutely yeah. <laughs> uh so amit uh, so uh, you've kept your podcast uh, very india focused you know issues that plague the indian uh, people i mean i deeply appreciate it and i really want to listen to a podcast on those but uh, so if you want to cover any political scenarios or any policy making issues uh, on a global scale in different countries you know what topics would you have liked covered yeah i'm actually i'm i've always intended not to keep it to india but every few okay. episodes do something with a, with an international guest okay. and the thing is i simply have been lazy about reaching out to them okay. and <laughs> doing it right so alex right. tabarok was here in bombay for a while okay so we met up and i got him here and i did a couple of episodes with him okay. so there are tons of people i want to reach out to and kind of beg them to be a guest <laughs> on my podcast but um, i haven't uh, really gotten down to it i'd i'd love to for example if you ask me who are sort of um, dream guests and uh, right. uh, dream subjects i'd yes. love to talk to sam harris about free will 
Okay. Uh, I don't believe in Is, free will either. Okay. I think my uh, but I have certain nuances in the way I look at it that are slight. So that that would be an interesting. That's the libertarian in you peeking out. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, yeah. So and 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 a, and and a bunch of economists. I mean, uh, just just speak about like every time I read a fascinating book, I think, hey, I should speak to this person. Like I keep thinking right. I should write to Philip Tetlock and. you know ask him to be on the show because i loved his book super forecasting i thought that's one of the best books i read in recent times and a lot of the conclusions of that book also tied in very nicely with things that i learned in my years as a professional poker player right. uh, which i was and, yes, and uh, right. that yes. was very fascinating <laughs> but i've just been bloody lazy and um, uh, you know so at some point i'll get over that but i think like you said i think one of the reasons people listen to this is that if you're listening to international podcasts there are like hazaars of them but indian there are very few yes absolutely so right. you know keep the main focus indian but once in a while if i do an international one i'd love to if anyone agrees to come on the show <laughs> nice yeah, and i guess it's great that you played poker because we got to listen to the episode which is quite fantastic yeah thanks yeah coming from a financial services background right yeah a lot lot of people i recommended the episode to also quite like that Well, wow, thanks yeah. so much. I mean, all credit to my guest Mohit Satyanand, who is uh, a man of immense wisdom. Yeah, as a as a listener, as someone who maybe started listening to this podcast for the first time and is now, uh, you know, and now his eyes are opened to new ideas that you know, hey, these are the unseen effects of so and so policy or so and so decisions. So, as a listener to these things, so how can I, how can a layman contribute, you know, to the political system or to policy making in any way? As just as a single, other than of course voting for the right people, what other things do you think any any person who's interested in this can do to effect change? Other than maybe start his own podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing here is that. Um, it's not just about specific policies like a policy acha ye policy bura hai it's more about a framework of looking at the world and about certain values that are within those framework like uh, you know individual freedom is a good thing we need to protect individual rights and so on and so forth yeah. and my great lament is that those ideas are not in the culture that a few english speaking elites like myself and because you're listening to the show like yourself may agree with them or engage with them but they're absolutely not out in the culture right. so in the culture for example there is widespread support for the notion that free speech should be restricted right. uh, you know there is widespread support for the notion that uh, um uh, you should not offend anybody and, um, and 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 various other things which we would disagree with yes so what what i keep you know a lot of people who think about policy look at it as a political battle that okay we are doing policy advocacy and we have to convince politicians and bureaucrats and so on to change their policies yes. and whatever yes. and i've always and i've come to the conclusion i didn't always believe like this but i keep i've sort of come to the conclusion that this is not about change is not going to happen politically change mm-hmm. first has to happen culturally like right. for example one big reason of the great success of the alt right in the us was their recognition of this like andrew breitbart who founded breitbart and yeah. uh, who died a few years ago he yeah. once said and this is something i i don't stop quoting that um, politics is downstream of culture okay unquote wow. and 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 what that indicates is that if you want to change politics you have to change culture right and none of us can personally really do much about changing politics all of us can contribute to changing culture in our own really little ways but to be frank we are just individuals and it seems yeah. futile and yeah. what do you do when your family whatsapp group with 10 uncles telling you <laughs> modi ji is great so <laughs> you know yeah but uh, yeah so i mean um, yeah that's that's <laughs> <laughs> that's 
coming to coming uh, you know taking off from modi ji is great you spoke about uh, this entire uh, mindset of the indian voter to not let his uh, vote go to waste right mm-hmm. and but your view was that you know you should rather vote for the individual who's there in your constituency if I, correct me if i'm wrong there mm-hmm. uh, and not look at you know my vote is going to waste because i should vote for modi ji because the world is doing so or india is doing so mm-hmm. and hence i should vote for the bjp you know mla or mp Nominee, yeah. from my area mm-hmm. right so how do you really coming to you know effecting that cultural change so what do you change on ground to make that happen because to make people vote more to make people vote more no but to make people vote or think about you know not uh, thinking about the larger picture first but starting from bottom up and me voting for my guy first yeah so it's 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 complicated and there are a number of questions within that question yeah. you asked uh the first aspect that you look at is that local government in india is not very strong now ideally what should happen is that power should be devolved from the center to the state to the city to the ward and all that so yes. local government actually matters if somebody isn't collecting garbage outside your thing your vote can make a difference now actually your vote can't make a difference and we had a i, I had a very interesting episode of the scene in the unseen on this with shruti rajgopalan on urban governance right. uh, and uh, the key point she made there which is something a lot of people don't realize about the cities or they do which is why they apathetic is that there is a disconnect between power and accountability at the local government level right. so what happens yeah. is that you have uh, as a uh, you know who is accountable to you your corporators and all are accountable to you they need your vote but do they have the power they don't really have any power to do anything they don't really take any big decisions flyover banega ya ye hoga they don't who has a power the state legislature has a power because it's not devolved further so the real power is with the state legislature right. and they are not accountable to you they are not accountable to urban voters if you think about it in okay. in in practice in uh, the maharashtra government there all All the vote banks are rural vote banks. Right. Mumbai per se doesn't really make a yeah. difference to that. Yeah. Uh, so they can afford to ignore the urban vote and uh, just uh, pander to whatever different uh, uh, rural vote banks uh, they might want to pander to. Right. And which is, you know, a government job is at the end of the day to all its people. So I'm not saying yeah. that you should give a special, uh, special privileges to urban voters just because you you've got more taxes coming out of Mumbai. Right. That's not my point at all. Mm-hmm. My point is that government should be so localized that there are uh, that people who have power over you should be accountable to you. and in practice that's not really the case and i think that's the reason why people become so apathetic because they realize that look you know fine we are a democracy but i can't really hold anybody accountable right Be- uh, especially at a local government level yeah. uh, the other facet of this is the fact that uh, every voter knows you know you might tell people it's your duty to vote and so on but yeah. every voter knows that his one vote is not going to decide an election right yeah right which there's a funny story about this by the way in some local election somewhere in the north some guy actually said this that ek vote se kya hota hai he lost by one vote and his wife hadn't gone and voted so i can't imagine that their family dinners were much fun after that but yeah so i think most people have the attitude have the attitude that what difference is my vote going to make Uh, the system is rigged and also one of the questions which comes up in the uh, in the ask me anything section which a bus will take us through at the end and i'll repeat the question then and name the person uh, to give you credit but i i think one of the questions was um um uh, look at all my options why yeah. should i vote yeah. uh, look at yeah. all you know um, and uh, there are two ways of looking at it one way of looking at it is that you vote for the person who is the least bad 
so a lot of people today will say that okay look what modi ji is doing to the country yeah. which is absolutely true and therefore you vote for whatever you think is a most viable alternative yeah. right so that is one way of looking at it um and i'm leaning towards that but my way of looking at it which is slightly different is that uh i won't vote and here's the reason why i won't vote because if you look at the political marketplace as a marketplace yeah. now mm-hmm. think of i go to a mall to buy a shirt okay, okay. uh they're all crappy shirts i buy the least crappy shirt right right it's still your yeah i've got a crappy shirt but if i don't buy a shirt what does that do uh, because those sales aren't happening that sends a signal to the marketplace that there is a market for shirts and somebody some entrepreneur or the other will then make different shirts which i might like so similarly in the political marketplace is some marketplace voting is it's a privilege but it's not a duty if you don't like any of the products yes. by not voting you send a message to political entrepreneurs that x percent of the people haven't voted yes. and and therefore there is a market there and I, and i actually no people who who are thinking like this right now and are working on it and i'm sure this was part of uh, the reason why for example kejriwal and gang i'm not a big fan yes. of the man but talented political entrepreneur and he came up any one power because right. he obviously saw that apathy where does that apathy reflect itself in the percentage of people who are not voting so even by not voting you are sending a signal to the market place uh, which might be important mm-hmm. now i am very conflicted because many close friends of mine have been trying to convince me that no you are wrong that uh, you you think you are sending a signal to the marketplace but there may be no marketplace we are going towards despotism yeah. and we need to do something now and it's an emergency mm-hmm. and so on and so forth so to be honest i'm conflicted between these two points of view that should you vote for whatever is a least bad option or should you not vote at all and, and just a simple counter to right. i was just thinking out loud mm. that you said you know you will you will express your uh, sort of dissatisfaction mm. by not voting mm. but say how is any politician or anybody actually able to differentiate suppose 30% people have not voted in the next election right. so how can you say that this 30 people have not have chosen to not vote or have just sat in their homes and said ki is desh ka kuch nahi hone wala so Yeah, so, those are two very different things, right? Right, right. Uh, I, I'm busy and I'm not not voting, hmm. for example. And you're sitting in your home and saying, "I'm not going to vote." Like it's a choice. Yeah, but but it uh, no, I I I think in terms of actions, hmm. I think it's actually the same thing. It's it's whether I uh, vote from this conscious sort of rational process that I have, whether I uh, refrain from voting for that reason, mm-hmm. or whether I just don't give a shit about politics and I'm doing my thing. Mira, dhanda thik chal raha. Yeah. And don't vote. It's actually the same thing. It indicates that you don't care for the options out there, mm-hmm. and uh, therefore there is an opening that you might, uh, uh, you know, care for um, uh, that somebody might want to provide an option. And you know, if you eventually have those kinds of figures, and I've actually sat with a political entrepreneur who. is thinking or was thinking of launching his own party and okay. he went through constituency wise figures of how many people haven't voted in each district and broke it down and spoke about where he thinks his niche might be and whatever and that's just one person i have access to okay. i'm sure across the country there are uh, and and this is a common lament all of us have ki vote karu to kiske liye vote karu surely some entrepreneur is going to come out of somewhere and try to capitalize on that right kejriwal did for example No. I think I think this topic deserves a, a podcast episode of its own. A full podcast. Do, do you have any guests you'd recommend? Who should I bring on? No, I'm serious. Not really. <laughs> no. Yeah. So. Uh, and yeah, yeah, this this also partly answers another. I was just going through the AMA mm. uh, post on Twitter, right. and someone just asked about you know what are the advantages, disadvantages, etc. of having a nota. Yeah. So see, I yeah. I I think the the nota is like if you really have. like your time is no opportunity cost you got fucking nothing to do then you go and vote nota because to me a non vote and a vote for nota is the same thing yeah. to me 
by yeah. the logic i just gave yeah. uh, now uh, so what's the point of voting nota why go all the way there and uh, you know just just vote nota it's either you vote for someone or you don't vote at all which is sending the same message for less effort you know no, but isn't a, isn't that a stronger signal then that okay fine people are coming out and hmm. saying nota rather than just as nakul was just pointing out then i have a, that you know you might just be laid back relax and not give too much too many fucks about you know going there cuz i'm happy i don't care who's there at the at the center right now I i'm th- indifferent i i think that would be true if the nota percentage could be significant like one of my yeah. friends campaigned for nota in the recent mumbai municipal elections and i think uh, he spent a lot of money doing it do i used to keep telling him that you know you should have a freaking product for a political campaign why are you campaigning for freaking nota i think he got the percent up from 1 to 2 Wow. <laughs> right and your non voters would be you know in the tens yeah. uh, so you know unless you unless you get if 30% of the people vote nota i agree with you everybody would stand up and say okay my god you know yeah uh, but um, one or 2% no one really cares yeah. uh, a broader question which i have is that uh, right now we're uh, as a country and in fact across the globe we're more divided than ever in the sense that there's either uh, i mean you are you're right you, you're on the you're far right or i'm far left and i mean you have your magazines your your political thinkers and your ideas and i have my own if i'm a left guy i have my own new york times and my trevor noahs of the world and so how do is there any way that we can bridge that gap today like that is that possible for people to meet somewhere halfway down because earlier we i mean things were not so divided that people yeah. didn't have their own i mean you were you don't live in your own bubble at least right. some time back but now we've become very divided i'm sure in the future it's just going to increase more the contrast is going to be even sharper so is there any way that this can be sort of healed Yes, yeah, a good question. I mean, and and the reason this has happened, interestingly, is technology. We used to think technology will bring the world together, but technology actually makes it easier to form echo chambers and uh, uh, this live in the comfort of your own worldview. Right. And you might be the most bigoted racist person out there, but technology enables you to discover millions of other bigoted, bigoted racist, racist people like you, and then you yes. take comfort in numbers, and <laughs> numbers, you're no longer the odd one out in yes. your family. Yes. Uh, the overall, I think, technology is a huge net uh, positive. but yeah. uh, yes it, this has happened it happened absolutely um, i don't know i mean one 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 glib answer so glib i feel embarrassed to give it is maybe culture <laughs> you know we can still like the same movies and the same music or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know i mean uh, it's it's very uh, hard and and uh, the the question that i written an op-ed uh, in the hindu uh, about this i think late last year december mm-hmm. and and um, the question that i am asking which i can't find an answer for is how, people keep talking about fake news how do you break through it how yeah. because earlier what would happen is that even if a rumor spreads mm-hmm. you have these authoritative sources of information everybody trusts absolutely you yeah. have your new york times yes. or your times of india or whoever but now that is all diffused absolutely now yes. everybody has their sources their of sources? Uh, you yes. know whatsapp baba ki jai <laughs> and people have adopted a world view they will it's confirmation bias they will only take whatever yes. uh, fits into their world view and reject everything reject. else yes. how do you break through this i don't have an answer it's yeah. uh, how tell how? me <laughs> <laughs> that comes back to the latest episode where the, the debate is all about you know should you regulate the likes of facebook Google, yeah, etc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I which I think is a wrong answer. You give government the power, you're you're going to get screwed because 
whenever you give any power to government you must assume you must imagine the worst possible person being in that being government power, yeah. okay. you know so if you are a left liberal you should imagine adityanath in that government <laughs> if you are a hardcore hindutva person you should imagine sonia gandhi uh, or whoever whoever is your nightmare uh, yeah. sitaram yachuri uh, in in the government you know using that to because ultimately any power that you give to government government never lets go of it and and the more power you give government the more oppression becomes inevitable and i think that's an easy answer that people are searching for because in india there is also this tendency for everything to say that the government should do something about it yes absolutely and i think the unseen effects of that <laughs> are uh, are uh, just uh, something no one thinks about yeah and uh, Uh, concentrating too much power in the hand of government is. I mean, uh, in the, in the 70s, the, I mean, the government used to make watches, right? In the 70s, and now when right. I think back, guys, I mean, why is the government making watch? Why was the government making watches like? The government makes sex toys. Are you aware? There's a public <laughs> no, sector I company don't. which makes sex, uh, sex toys. Yeah, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> Talk uh, about we'll unseen. Have we'll have a piece <laughs> pragati about it today. Oh, wow. uh, I, I think it's actually uh, I forget the name of the company. I think it's one of these condom manufacturing companies or whatever, but they also do sex oh, toys. Oh wow! So uh, the government. so that that's you know and and yeah about what can you even say about that? <laughs> uh so on a different note uh, mm. i mean you've been a you're an accidental podcaster you're a policy uh, sort of uh, voice mm. and you're a professional poker player but i also remember reading somewhere that you were on you were at mtv So how how have you how how you have been yeah, in so many yeah. different places? So it's, I I I the, 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 and this is what, not what something you've seen. This is not huh? something you've seen. No no, it, it was accidental. So this was in the nineties when I was in my early twenties. I spent five years shuttling between Channel V and MTV. Uh, oh, I was I was in both those places. So uh, in the late nineties, so I, I I wrote for guys like um, Cyrus Procha, Javed Jafri, right. uh, all the funny guys okay. back then. <laughs> and uh, and whatever and and television was just very shallow and dissatisfying and, and i mean all all due respect to my former colleagues who done well for themselves but i i just kind of and current colleague also cyrus right oh well i mean yeah in the sense yeah okay he has an ivm podcast yeah, as yes. well so a uh, fellow host almost a colleague is a great guy and i was i was on a show a couple of times so, yes 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 yeah talking about that but all those things were accidental so for example wherever i have to send a short one para bio of myself to someone i don't even mention those because they weren't shaping influences right. the time that i spent in journalism i mean journalism has shaped me uh, blogging has shaped me um, right but uh, none of that was really shaping it's an incidental thing that kind of happened i feel like you've used the word accidental to describe so many aspects of your life yeah which which is uh, which is one of the actual uh, which is one of the revelations of uh, uh, which one of the things that poker taught me in the years that i played it right. that uh, more in life is due to sheer luck than you realize that uh, we often tend to be hard on ourselves when things go bad and blame ourselves for it or we often tend to become arrogant and um self confident when good things happen to us but much more of both the good and the bad things are due to sheer dumb luck than that then we realize so uh, a lot of things are indeed uh, accidental and if i am to take it all the way of course and maybe i'll uh, you know and i'm sure sam harris would agree with me there is no feel but um, uh, but yeah i think we all underestimate the role of luck in our lives and it's it's very tempting to sort of look back and you know the in a million alternate universes there are a million amits now doing completely different things so. it's uh, it's it's nice to hear a professional poker player say that uh, uh, luck is important because that gives people like me hope no i used to be a professional poker player and yeah. uh, see luck is something that runs through life uh, poker is actually a game of skill but that skill comes in the management of luck 
which led to that or a conscious yeah. choice no so what happened was uh, how i got into it was sort of like beginners luck in the sense i went to goa i think must be 2009 or 2008 mm-hmm. um, and we were just in goa for a holiday and i went to a casino uh, played a little bit and uh, yeah actually that one time i lost a little bit but i got hooked i was playing poker on my phone <laughs> so i i like bought in for 10000 and lost that after a couple of hours and then i went off uh, then there was a poker weekend which uh, happened there where they had i think the india um, indian poker championship okay and i went there for the weekend and i did quite well uh, i i did well enough to say that you know you know what the hell am i doing that writing for i'm so good at this and the irony is i wasn't good at all i i wasn't good enough to know how bad i was but uh, those were early days so everyone just was like all politicians <laughs> no. so uh, uh, those were early days and everyone was on a learning curve so the games were very soft okay. and then gradually i kept playing and got uh, you know i got better the field got better and so on and so yeah. forth and i uh, you know the kind of games i used to play were illegal then and are illegal now so i don't want to talk about that in too much detail but what basically happened was while i did well enough for myself uh, it destroys your lifestyle uh, because poker okay. is all consuming yeah. you end up playing long 20 hour sessions you go home yeah. you sleep you go you play another 20 hour session is um, it's it's extremely unhealthy you're eating all kinds of crap i used to drink red bull after red bull <laughs> which is you know red bull is perfectly safe except for the sugar sugar is a problem yeah. so i i basically i put on like 15 kgs in uh, in that time all of which i have now lost so i'm i'm like this year since jan i've lost 14 kgs and uh, uh, you know today i was wearing these jeans after 3 months and it was like <laughs> they don't fit because they like pajamas yeah. you know when i stand up you see you you speak about keto so, a lot uh, on your yeah yeah so keto sure. is one of my uh, sort of uh, one of the things that has helped me so to cut a long story short i i thought the lifestyle was messed up it was all consuming also it's a zero sum game you're not yeah. uh, bringing anything new to the world like if you you know the world essentially all our interactions are positive sum so we all having this conversation if it's a voluntary conversation we'll all enjoy and have a good time and therefore we all yes. benefited from it but poker you only win if the other guy loses and i saw uh, tons of people who were addicted to the game i i've seen people friends of mine just destroyed by the game yeah so at one point i decided that look the lifestyle sucks philosophically i just i i sometimes i, I feel like i'm a drug dealer exploiting someone else's addiction uh and i had made enough to not have to work for a while um uh, though those savings are now gone so uh, mr government if you're listening please don't come and ask for taxes not that you know how much i earn uh, so it's yeah so i i did, and i just wanted to get back to writing i mean that was my main thing anyway my my thing with poker will just get in for a while and uh, get out yeah. so yeah and get out interesting one question which i was just musing about is that uh, we've uh, over the last 100 years or so i think in terms of political discourse or uh, theories and ideas on politics uh, we've sort of uh, i mean the ideas have now trickled down or maybe i'm just not aware but the spectrum that we've built in terms of left right or liberal libertarian secularism all of that etc so i think we've now the ideas have slowed down to trickle and things are where they are now so do you think there's room for any more new political 
ideologies or new ideas of thinking on politics or do you think we've reached the zenith of you know this is what it is now and you've to i mean a government has to work in this framework only no i mean i i think there are certain frameworks along which you think for example uh, one framework along which i certainly think is a framework of uh, freedom how much uh, freedom do um, you know how much freedom do different systems have and how much you respect individual rights uh right. another framework which uh, might ignore my framework and consider itself valid is equality which you know people on the left will uh, go for though i would argue that freedom is uh, gives you the best shot at equality but uh, equality of opportunity but that could be another framework you have a third framework could be the you know the whole conservative framework where you say that things have worked a certain way given human nature for a mm-hmm. while and we should not mess with it too much right and uh, so on and so forth i think one of the things that any uh, whichever way you look at the world mm-hmm. has to take into account is human nature itself right and uh, the thing is that there is a duality to humans uh there is one part of us which is basically animals that our brains are hardwired in certain ways in the sense that our tribalism is hardwired into us our bigotry is hardwired into us our misogyny is hardwired into us and all of the, all of those hardwirings find a reflection in in culture in the culture, way yes. for example the way the patriarchy is set up the way the power systems work and uh, and uh, the uh, the instinctive distrust of the other throughout yes, uh, throughout yes, the world of course and uh, so that is really a reflection of the dark side of human nature but what humans also have the other side is that we have also been um I won't say blessed because it makes it seem like I believe in God but <laughs> we are also lucky enough a uh, mm-hmm. much better word for me we're also lucky enough to possess brains which can actually self reflect and which can think about all this and which can understand that this is our programming and we need to go beyond that and to me what we've seen culturally in the last 3 um, centuries since the enlightenment is essentially that is earlier culture was something that reinforced human nature right. and in the last 3 400 years culture has begun to mitigate human nature and to fight against it and uh, to fight against those instincts where uh, you know whether it's a simple thing like me deciding not to have a child where i'm fighting my hardwiring right 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 of or, course or or um, whether it's um, uh, or various ways equality for women for example mm-hmm. comes out of culture uh, yeah. uh, i mean as time goes we've become like there is uh, the philosopher w e h lecky a uh, 19th century philosopher he'd come okay. up with this phrase called the expanding circle okay so okay. Uh, his uh, what he postulated was that uh, all of us that since prehistoric times there has been an expanding circle around humanity what does that mean that means that if you go back to our prehistoric ancestor there are a circle of people that is his family or his tribe who he deems worthy of moral consideration right. nobody outside that tribe is worthy of that moral consideration so if he's at war with them he will kill them he will rape them he will do whatever they're not human beings at all now uh, lecky's postulation was that this circle has expanded through human history it's expanded from the family to the tribe to maybe alliances of tribes to yeah. a nation to an ethnicity and it's kept expanding till right. all of humanity is in it for some people i mean right. different people have different circles of yeah. people they consider worthy of their moral consideration and um, the uh, utilitarian philosopher peter singer in fact wrote a book uh, about this called the expanding circle where he argued that it should expand to include animals right right now that's a different argument in itself and uh, let's not go there but um, uh and it's worth thinking of i mean it's possible yeah. that the way we today look down on say thomas jefferson for having slaves uh, future generations may look down on us for killing animals 
and of course by that time you won't have to kill animals to eat meat you'll grow it in labs yeah. uh, that's that's almost uh, around the corner but um, yeah so there's that thing of the expanding circle now the thing is that overall yeah people circles have vastly expanded mm-hmm. uh, and you see this uh, more in the big cities uh, than in uh, smaller areas because cities tend to be cosmopolitan and it's also in your economic interest to have the largest networks to be part of the largest networks you can be and so on but they haven't expanded enough mm-hmm. and you see that even in india like one of the really disturbing questions that came up in the last few weeks was during the asifa case that yeah. how could someone do this to an eight year old how could you to another human being where is your humanity but the answer to this is that the people who did this did not consider uh, her uh, worthy of their moral consideration mm. uh, the, the she was from the bakarwal tribe a muslim tribe and th- those people weren't part of the circle of these people who you know their circle hadn't expanded far enough to include them. include them and you see this in the treatment of the other across india where there will be many hindus who will not consider muslims around them and certainly lower class muslims around them worthy of their moral consideration so that answers this question how could you you could because you don't see this person as human yeah. and that's a very disturbing thing and i think what happens is like the earlier point that you made and that you uh, went back to is that technology reinforces uh, you know technology helps us form these echo chambers where we find like minded people and where we can stay with the in our comfort zones with tribes we feel comfortable with right. so you know will this make us one world or will this actually further divide you know keep us divided right and uh, i have just completely rambled <laughs> what was the question i'm so sorry please forgive me listeners <laughs> this i don't even know what i set out to answer yeah. no that's okay uh, so if i if i hmm. so my question was that is there room for more political thought more It's an unknown unknown right it's an unknown unknown so i wouldn't know it uh, i can engage with all of these frameworks of thinking like arnold kling wrote a great book called the three languages of politics where he says that uh, left liberals libertarians and conservatives frequently talk past each other because their first principles are different because libertarians value freedom left liberals value equality conservatives value tradition and they talk yeah. past each other all the time they can never talk to each other and yes, once you're cognizant of these different first principles maybe you can begin a dialogue are there other first principles that will suddenly emerge i don't know and i can't imagine what they are but that could easily be a lack of imagination on my part like i said it's an unknown unknown <laughs> yeah. but i see these as three uh, ways of three broad frameworks of looking at the world and i know which my framework is and i can talk about that and i th- i think i can also uh, i can also uh, you know have conversations with left liberals and conservatives where i'm not talking past them where mm-hmm. i can engage with engage them on the basis of what i understand or where they are coming from but if you're asking will there be some other way of thinking that is beyond this who knows yeah, it's true so just wanted to ask one more thing in terms of you know the guests on your show and mm-hmm. uh, so have you ever thought of actually getting uh, politicians in there's so much uh, discussion about policy and you know uh, get the decision makers essentially or who've been you know made decisions in the past getting onto the show and discussing that to actually understand you know what the constraints they work with etc and if they're honest might just, about you know, it yeah. yeah obviously you're very uh, learned on the space etc and uh, i'm more more like a novice 
Uh, but still, you know, to get to know about their side of the view. I don't think I'm learned. I think I know enough to ask good questions if uh, those guys come. But firstly, who would come on the show? <laughs> like, uh, if Modi ji would come on the show, or uh, even uh, Rahul ji would come on the show. I think he has his own podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I don't think uh, I did get J P Narayan on the show, by the way. Yes, the oh, yeah, 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 yeah. State yes. of politics, yes. which yes. I, w- I was very thrilled about that because someone I respect enormously is just. Uh, um, huge uh, intellect and uh, a powerful force and uh, um, and in many ways has given up on politics which is sad and says a lot I think yeah. um, or maybe I shouldn't say that or put words in his mouth but that's a sense I got but yeah if they, if they, if they would come I would get them nice right so um, now um, uh, Nakul and Rachit are going to take a break not that I was doing all the talking but they'll take a break and uh, but they're still here and the conversation will continue. And now over to my producer, the famous stand-up comic Abbas, who will... Uh, uh, and we'll go through the IMA questions that a lot of you have asked on Twitter and Facebook. And I'll try my best to actually cover everything everybody said, including uh, flippant stuff. But I'll let Abbas first go through the shortlist that uh, uh, he made. So, everyone... Um, Hi. Welcome, Abbas. Hi. I like how every time you mention me, you say famous stand-up comic. It's like uh, it's a moniker, like the spectacular Spider-Man, the fa- fantastic, Ford, <laughs> the famous stand-up <laughs> comedian. <laughs> all right. So first of all, we got a lot of questions. So thank you everyone uh, for sending in uh, the questions. One thing I notice is that seen unseen listeners don't just ask a question; they give their opinion, then ask a question, or they ask a question. As indeed they should. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, the two questions that did get covered in the. Uh, uh, conversation which was the nota question and the politics but uh, l- let's just name the people and yeah, so that, handles, the, so. the, that was asked by MH Dodwani and uh, uh, Kelvin Inc at Kelvin Inc on Twitter so uh, those were the those were the two people who sent in um, I've got a question here from Krishna Kumar uh, on Twitter who asked why do you think at later cut uh, the Twitter yeah. handle also I think he used to uh, be a cricket writer Ah, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his question is, uh, why do you think urban Indians are so disconnected from reality? Ask a random sample of urban Indians in any decent-sized city. Only a minority would know what their drinking. Only a minority would know what their drinking water sources are, where their food comes from. It's the biggest reason they vote wrong come election time. Two sides of this. I'll give the positive side first. The positive side is uh, there's this famous um, uh, essay called I Pencil by Leonard Reed, uh, and uh, famous essay. Just uh, Google it. I mm-hmm. Pencil. Uh, by Leonard Reed, uh, R.E.A.D. And uh, what that essay is about is it's the autobiography of a pencil which talks about how it's made. And what you realize through that is that it can't be made by any one person. It takes, literally, it has raw material from across the world made by uh, thousands of people requiring, you know, the cooperation and coordination of millions to actually uh, produce that one pencil and yet none of these people know of any of the others. Uh, I think a recent version of this was done as a homage to this which was about the iPod, okay. about how the iPod is made f- uh, with inputs from 70 countries or whatever and all these people don't know all the other people. So this lack of knowledge mm-hmm. is not necessarily uh, a bug. It's okay. actually a feature. It means that you can go about your daily life and without your knowing it or planning for it, uh, there are millions of people across the world who are working at this moment to satisfy your needs right. that's the wonder of a market but that's obviously not uh, Krishna Kumar Akka at later cut is mm-hmm. referring to what he's referring to is uh, why are we so apathetic right. and uh, again that is something we discussed earlier Rajit had asked a question about that and um, 
And the thing is, our apathy is rational because it is indeed true that we can do nothing about it, not mm-hmm. just because um, uh, rationally one vote makes no difference, but also because there is a disconnect between power and accountability at the level of local government. Okay. And uh, the forces that are around us sometimes seem too overwhelming to do anything about. And uh, if, if, if I've interpreted uh, his lament correctly, it's a lament I share. Uh, I don't have any solutions. I mean, what do you do? You just go on doing what you're doing. Okay. He's tried to connect uh, the apathy to voting wrongly in the elections. Uh, yeah, I mean, voting wrongly, it's what is wrongly. It's not right. like there's a right option, right? right. Uh, everybody is uh, entitled to, to their everybody is entitled to their view of looking at the world and also right. everybody is wrong and <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> that yeah. settles it then <laughs> yeah there's nothing more to say life is sad alright uh, so Mr. Dodwani asked another question which I found pretty interesting where he asks most of India's problems lie in yesteryear's law that don't work for modern society is there a way to rewrite the constitution of India understanding the needs of the present time and dealing with them more aptly yeah, but who's going to do it? You know, if the constitution is rewritten, it won't be by Mr. Dodwani or me. Right. It'll be by the people in charge. Right. They will make it worse. Uh-huh. Right? Uh, so, uh, it's it's an easy thing to sort of uh, say that, uh, you know... See, it's it's first of all, it's true that the constitution doesn't go far enough to protect our freedoms. Right. For example, free speech is not protected. Article right. 19 uh, to, uh, lays out all those restrictions to it, mm-hmm. uh, such as public order, decency and so on. Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, various laws in the IPC which were framed by the British to oppress us, like right. 295A, 153A, which make it a crime to give offence, right. uh, though you breach those laws often a bus in your <laughs> of comedy uh, uh, cannot be challenged constitutionally because hey the constitution allows for laws like that right. so uh, the, the, our constitution people call it a liberal constitution in the good sense of the word liberal right. I don't think it is really it doesn't okay. protect our freedoms enough and also um, my um, good friend Shruti Rajgopalan who's been on the show a few times mm-hmm. uh, she had done an awesome presentation somewhere on YouTube. If you search for her name, uh, you'll find it. About how the Constitution has been consistently over the last 70-something years been amended time and time again for political purposes, still is practically meaningless. So Ambedkar right. in 53, in fact, said that, you know, the Constitution of India should be burnt because it is meaningless. Okay. Very strong words. I don't remember his exact words. This right, is right. in Shruti's uh, presentation, which mm-hmm. would be on YouTube, Shruti Rajgopal. Um, and there was a cartoon at one point about how the Constitution of India is not a book, but periodical mm. it's changed so much so politicians right. have been changing it throughout to their um, so our constitution is a pretty messed up beast mm-hmm. it's got some very good elements of it still it does offer us some protections it could be far worse and the worry is that if you want it to be amended it could actually become far worse depending right. on the dispensation yeah. now at some point i remember i got into this uh, controversy on twitter because you can't make everything idiot proof where uh, right wingers were talking about changing the constitution yeah and uh, somebody um, uh, pointed out that oh it can't be done and mm. i merely pointed out that hey it can be done it's been done repeatedly by nehru and indira it's right. fucked us over <laughs> the right to property is no longer a fundamental right right and so without saying glibly it can't be done realize that it can be done and we should be aware and we we should fight it. Okay. And that was because I wasn't idiot-proof enough. That was misinterpreted as my supporting a change to the constitution. Right. But I would just say that, look, if someone's going to change it, it's not Mr. Dodwani or me. Mm-hmm. It's Mr. Adityanath and Mr. Vinay Katiyar. So yeah. do you really want that? Yeah, that's the one uh, question that comes into my head. If we change laws to protect free speech, then also someone will stand up and say, try and change a law to bring in Hindutva or Sharia law. So yeah. like, there'll always be that uh, second... Uh, point of view 
all right arvind ayer on twitter asks uh, i would love to hear your views on us gun control with your consent and free trade principle i think you would oppose any restrictions can you share more details yeah we should do the twitter id i think if i'm not mistaken is uh, at ayer archie a r c h i that's right yeah yeah arvind ayer i i don't know this person but i just remembered the id because i was writing all these down that's a great question and i'm afraid i must disagree with my libertarian friends i am oh. for gun control I don't believe guns should be freely sold in India. Now to explain why um let me first say that in the US context I imagine uh, in the US context I completely understand uh, looking at how the country originated and right. how it has since come why gun rights were a big deal because mm-hmm. you actually needed to protect yourself from the state and so on and so forth mm-hmm. and that's how it originated I understand that. I am however glad that guns are not sold freely in India and I hope they never are. And uh, I wrote a post a long time back called the Bomzuka question that's the name of the post. So if you just go on my uh, blog India Uncut indiauncut.com search for Bomzuka you'll come across a post where I pose a hypothetical question. Let me post this to you guys as well. Sure. It's a difficult question. The question is this. Imagine three kinds of weapons that are sold, okay? One is a knife. You need a knife for cutting vegetables and so on and so forth. You can also use it to kill people. Should a knife be allowed? Question 1. Question 2, gun. you can use a gun for self defense you can also kill people with with it and it's got deterrence value should a gun be allowed weapon 3 bombzuka okay bombzuka is my invention that is my <laughs> notional invention i haven't actually invented okay. something like that it's an invention the bombzuka is something which you which people are demanding be sold at groceries everyone is allowed to buy and what it basically does is you can press a button or remotely you can set it off and a whole neighborhood blows up Okay. Let's say a few square hundred meters just blow up, and there okay. are people saying that hey, you know, um, it's uh, you can't condemn me till I've done it, and uh, men yeah. kill, uh, you know, guns don't, bombs or cars mm. don't kill people, people, mm. people do. kill people, and <laughs> yeah, should a bombs or car be allowed? Now I think uh, so. Uh, first knives should it be allowed? <laughs> I say yes. Yeah, so knives yes. should be allowed to yes. be sold, right? Because yes. it has daily utility as well. Right. Yeah. Three bombs or cars should it be allowed? Any no. random guy can buy no. a bomb zuka and blow up a neighborhood. Not really. No. 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 Right. No. Okay. So clear answers. Now my only my follow up question then is forget the second one about guns. My follow up question then is that somewhere between the knife and a bomb zuka, you are drawing a line. Right. Where is that line and why is that line there? You know, I think you'd both agree with me because you said knife should be sold and yes. bomb zuka should not be sold. Right. That there should be a line. Yeah. Where should that line be? and why there the mm-hmm. line is in i think two parts one is uh, the magnitude of damage it can do maybe that's right. one yeah. and secondly a knife also has a lot of other utilities uh, yeah. right so two the benevolent uh, less less harmful utilities exactly and yeah. a, and a bomzuka doesn't yeah. doesn't yeah. right so which is a great answer which is which which are two of the parameters i'd look at but i'd say that it is now very clear and i think even the most ardent libertarian would agree that you can't have bombzuka selling over the counter where you can just press a button and blow up a neighborhood because hey we're f- right end yeah. of civilization uh so you are drawing a line you're drawing a line what are the reasons you're drawing a line and then you can debate about whether gun should be part of it or not uh i personally feel gun should be part of it and it uh, how i justify that with my libertarian principles is that part of what a libertarian recognizes as a valid role of state the one valid role of state is to protect all our rights and this is sort of um, one preemptive way of doing that of avoiding violence this right, justification yeah. can be misused so i'm even hesitant of giving it out and many yeah. of my libertarian friends are very angry at me right now and <laughs> perhaps uh, you know 
tearing their headphones apart. I hope they're not expensive ones. <laughs> but but yeah, and look in India, man, come on, look around you, yeah. If you had guns selling freely, they would be freaking mayhem. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. True. Abbas, do you agree with me? I do agree with you. <laughs> Imagine, I mean, would you feel comfortable as a stand-up comic? I would. Have, <laughs> I have had nightmares <laughs> of a person standing up and yeah. aiming at the stage. Yeah. All right, we'll move on to the next question. So, at Manish T on Twitter asks, if ever a private bank goes bankrupt, government will have to bail it out like the US in 2008. Then why not let government participate in profits of the banks by owning them? Good question. And where I will take issue with the question is not the second sentence, but the first one. That private banks should not be bailed out by the government. That what happened in the financial crisis of 2007, where the government bailed out all these private banks, was wrong. It creates something called moral hazard. It yeah. sets a wrong incentives because all these companies then realize that uh, they can do whatever in the end the government will bail will them out. Them, yeah. What does that do? That privatizes profits, it socializes losses. Yeah. If the company makes money, uh, they get the profits. If the company loses money, we the taxpayers pay. Right. So I don't care what you say about the economy going down. I think that was a rationalization. That was alarmism. Mm -hmm. I think no private company should ever, under any circumstances, be propped up by the government. It creates a moral hazard, okay. which makes a second part of the question. Irrelevant. And talking about uh, just adding to that, incentivizing them to perform better, it doesn't help when the RBI itself classifies two of the largest banks in the country as too big to fail. Exactly. It's, it's like a statement that, you know, I'm here. It's an invitation to misuse <laughs> yeah. the system and those two banks are public sector banks and therefore you have your Nirav Modi's and yeah. uh, all happening. Yeah. Right. So. Alright, the next question again comes from Twitter. It's uh, The Twitter handle is at Adi1212. Uh, we should name both by the way. So the the earlier one was at Manish T which is, uh, he calls himself Euclid. Yeah. So Adi1212's name was a sentence so I'm assuming that's not his name. Give the sentence. <laughs> His parents might have named him. That is perfectly fine. Respect the user. <laughs> what does he I call himself? search for it. Then. No, I, I'll, I'll have it somewhere here. I've, I've taken uh, printouts of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, it's I told you so exclamation mark yeah, <laughs> yeah which is <laughs> clearly a seen unseen listener Adi triple one two yeah I, I, um, yeah, I, yeah, I so envy his certainty <laughs> that's actually his his name sort of um, personifies a hindsight bias okay. I told you so I knew about it I I'll just read out his question mm. uh, he asks your thoughts on the best libertarian thinkers out there and any books that you recommend that uh, that distills the principles of libertarianism in a simple to understand format right so I picked up sort of my understanding of um, uh, liberty um, through the years in various diffused ways and I'm trying to write a book on this which does exactly this Okay. and hopefully when I do that that will be the definitive <laughs> <laughs> but why are you laughing I'm serious uh, <laughs> so, when can we expect that book yeah uh, yeah. I'm half Bengali so I, I uh, procrastinate a lot uh, but someday but um, to answer the question and to try and be useful um, there's a gentleman called David Boaz he's written a book called The Libertarian Mind Okay. which is a marvelous book and which will give you all the basics of the libertarian way of thinking. David Boaz works at the Cato Institute in the US. He's also uh, edited a compilation called The Libertarian Reader, which is great essays on libertarianism by various people okay. and which contextualizes them as well in these easy-to-read sections. Um, so uh, that's, again, a, a great place to uh, find out about them. And th those two books, I think, will be your gateway to a lot of... Uh, uh, other reading on the subject. Any Indian authors or books that come to mind? 
No, yeah, libertarian India. <laughs> it is. It is up to me. I am a heavy burden. A heavy burden. My friend Sancho had some good libertarian ideas. <laughs> I don't even remember. It was a shit book. Uh, if any of you read it, I apologize. I did. So, okay. <laughs> All right. We'll go on to, uh, quickly to the next question. Yeah. Is uh, asked by at Shan Se at Twitter. His name is Shantanu. Yeah. He asks, Will Indians create a liberal party like Swatantra in the future to defeat socialist parties like BJP and Congress? Who do you think would be new Rajajis and Masanis emerging from? Great question. That's a question we've been asking ourselves for you know um, almost decades. Actually, I make myself sound older than I am, though. Uh, but uh, you, you know, a lot of people very foolishly put their faith in the BJP and thought that when Modi said things like um, minimum government, maximum governance, that uh, he was of that persuasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, that line was on a cover of Pragati many many years ago. Okay. It from us. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was not part of Pragati then. Does this then. mean Modi reads, uh, reads your blog? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> So I have, um, but I mean, I wasn't part of Pragati then. This is okay. what I've been told. But, uh, but uh, like uh, uh, Shantanu correctly said in his question, uh, Modi is as socialist as all the uh, as his favorite uh, Nehru or Indira, okay. I- I- if not more in some ways. Um, the point is, I'll I'll go back to what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. When when I think of the political marketplace, uh, the party is part of the supply, right? The party is on the supply side. I'm saying, don't think of the supply side. Think of the demand side. Mm-hmm. Till there is demand for it, the supply won't be there. Right. When people demand uh, a, a, a liberal slash uh, you know free thinking party or party that stands for individual liberty, like um, Rajaji and Minu Masani did, mm-hmm. uh, then there will be that party. But do people demand it? No. Those ideas are not in the culture. They're not part of the discourse. Right. Then why should that party be? There. And many of the people who said that they believed in that and they subsequently supported Modi, even when it was obvious that Modi is socialist in his economics and authoritarian in his uh, approach to governance in general, and mm. both of which should completely be the opposite of what you should stand for, mm. they continued supporting him. They rationalized it, which makes me like I, um, uh, I, I wrote this piece for Pragati, an editorial last year, which I think is our most read piece ever in terms of use or whatever. It's called Beware of the Useful Idiots. So mm-hmm. do a search for that, Beware of the okay. Useful Idiots, which talks about exactly this. Okay. That uh, all of these people gave him legitimacy by sort of uh, pretending that uh, BJP was a great liberal party, which is, of course, a joke. Right. Uh, at Anand Hegde uh, on Twitter asks, if you were to create a utopian country, what would be the role of the state in it? Ideally, the role of the state should be restricted to protecting rights. Uh, but the thing is, uh, and and if you're actually interested in this in a theoretical sense, then um, Robert Nozick wrote a great book called Anarchy, State and Utopia. And David Friedman wrote a book called The Machinery of Freedom, uh, Milton's uh, son, David Friedman. And um, both of them sort of say that you don't need a government at all. And they tease out that idea to its logical conclusions and they show how it's possible to live without a state at all. Uh, which I, I, I don't agree with because my mind can't wrap itself around it. It's probably a, a flaw on my part um, that I think there does need to be some government uh, mm-hmm. which protects our rights and so on, but right. it should not do much more than that. But the question is uh, sort of um, not something I give great, uh, I mean, not something that, uh, the, the point is we live in the real world that we live in and all our battles are for more freedom and we know that more freedom helps. Right. And uh, why think of utopia? I mean, utopian thinkers are the most dangerous. Okay. Uh, you got a question on Facebook from Darshana Mahatre, mm. uh, where she asked, you expressed your displeasure on demonetization when it was announced. Today, more than a year has passed. Obviously, the cash crunch still remains, and it will only increase with the elections coming in. But otherwise, do you still believe it is too bad a move for the economy? 
is it too bad a move it's a disastrous move i said it at the time i said it repeatedly again and again i stand by it and i am going to raise my finger and say i told you so right <laughs> i think i was completely uh, right i won't give myself much credit for being completely right because anybody with half a brain could have seen that it was going to be a disaster for the economy and its consequences go far beyond the cash crunch current cash crunch uh, it's uh, you know it destroyed lives mm-hmm. it uh, it was a humanitarian disaster and the fact that there are some people who call themselves economists who can say hey in the long run it will help us we'll talk about costs and benefits though the the presumed benefits may happen to one group of people and the costs are on another group of people and it's overwhelmingly hurt the poor i i find that repulsive and disgusting demonetization was a disaster it was a unilateral move by a mad despotic leader who did, doesn't have a clue about economics and uh, i condemned it then and i condemn it now and my condemning it is really meaningless because it's is damaged this country all right uh, another question from twitter from @tilak365 uh, whose name is tilak kamat also mm-hmm. a very regular cyrus listener uh, he sent in a question that says just read the who's report on air pollution how do you think our country should lay out a concrete plan on tackling the issue regulations penalties rewards for states private entities who tackle it public awareness etc Okay uh so I'm not an expert on the environment or WHO so I can't go into specifics but I would just say that um, to identify a problem and say we should do this mm-hmm. is uh, a little uh, too simple what often happens is if you remember about if uh, we I had an episode with Vivek call right. on the pollution in Delhi mm-hmm. uh, you guys yes, heard that yeah <coughs> small I'm not heard this particular yeah. episode uh, and what Vivek pointed out and this is like really an interesting way of thinking about this problem and the political economy of mm-hmm. it what Vivek pointed out was that look the pollution in Delhi is happening because farmers in Punjab are burning rice and oh, it's yeah, a death yes, over yes, of that yes. the rice husk or whatever uh, which they are they are burning that after yeah. you know because they have no other way of getting rid of it and the fumes because of the way the wind blows is going to delhi now the thing is if you one of the reasons that is happening is that rice first of all should not be grown in punjab at all mm-hmm. is a point he made because it's a water intensive crop and punjab is relatively arid why is it grown there because of government subsidies on electricity and these people can just drill out from their borewells as much water as they need to so that is an unseen effect of a government subsidy which you yeah. see right there the delhi pollution and if you are going to solve this how would you solve this mm-hmm. you can't just say that let us make it a crime to burn that because you don't have the state capacity to actually enforce anything all that will happen is that the few cops that you have will just get more bribes right uh, and it's a political problem because government of punjab is not going to do anything about it you know so kejriwal will go to the punjab cm and say ki bhai iska kuch karo but the mm-hmm. punjab cm needs those votes any party which pisses off the farmers of punjab is not going to come to yeah. power in punjab so no party is going to do that how do you solve the problem poor kejriwal in delhi is you know putting his muffler and having asthma because of that but there's nothing he can practically do right. this is such a huge problem that i can't even think of a possible solution for it even right. if there's a dictator at the center and he really want you know how hmm. um, and uh, and a lot of governance problems mm-hmm. are of this nature so if you're on the outside and you say that oh okay this is happening because farmers are and all of the delhi pollution isn't because of this this is right. sort of that takes it beyond the tipping point right. but say okay ban the farmers from doing that mm-hmm. or whatever but mm-hmm. those are very easy answers mm-hmm. those don't work no answer so it, th- th- these are huge problems so for me having literally no understanding of the environment and what the who might have done but when i say no understanding of the environment i mean the sort of the the specific politics right. as in this case right. i i really can't say anything all right uh devan roy whose twitter handle is at fa2lingman asks why is there no faith in free markets in india in spite of its many successes 
because it's counterintuitive and this is something like many of the basic precepts of uh, free markets are counterintuitive uh, this goes back to what i was saying about human nature earlier mm-hmm. that we've evolved uh, we evolved in prehistoric times our instincts have evolved in prehistoric times so yeah. we, number one we thought of the world in zero sum ways that if i get something because those were times of scarcity so you know there's a dead deer if i get the deer the other tribe won't if uh, right. the other tribe gets it we won't you think of the world in zero sum ways right. so if somebody wins somebody else loses that's how you think of the economy so you assume that the solution to poverty must be redistribution you assume that if the rich are getting rich it can only be if the poor are getting poorer right. and so on the positive sumness of things which is one of the great insights of uh, uh insights about the world is very counterintuitive and very hard to get across number 1 spontaneous order that's large systems can run by themselves that languages can evolve and form up with uh, sets of rules and all that on their own without a central committee planning it and saying this is how you should use a comma mm-hmm. um people don't get that how you know uh, spontaneous order is because back in prehistoric times when we evolved everything was on a scale where you could plan it and control it but large societies are not like that we run through spontaneous order markets are spontaneous order languages are spontaneous order to go back to i pencil by leonard reed that uh-huh. is a case of spontaneous order where millions of people combine to produce a pencil for you uh-huh. yet you don't know anything about them and they don't know anything about you right. deeply counterintuitive right so all the ideas of about free markets are extremely counterintuitive whereas all these sort of command and control socialist ideas that government will plan everything and all of that mm-hmm. despite all evidence to the contrary over the last few decades of how that works out mm-hmm. uh, they still remain strong in the popular imagination all right okay let's take some uh, last few questions uh, damanbir singh host twitter handle is damanbir singh 9 asks for spreading ideas of re- liberalism which is better a podcast championing liberalism criticizing reactionary forces with like-minded experts or a podcast run by a liberal who gets people from the other end of the political spectrum on the show and engage them using logic and data not political correctness right and this is a common i mean this is a question others have also, also asked, asked that why yeah. don't you get people you disagree yeah. with and my answer to that is i have right <laughs> did you listen to my future of the internet episode with mm. nikhil power nikhil, it yeah. was very lively we were arguing Absolutely. all the time uh, vivek call is a frequent guest on the show and we disagree over a lot of things i mean mm-hmm. he is not a libertarian certainly like me very close friend very fine mind so i try to engage with people who don't um, uh, uh thing the way i do at the same time i must say that uh this quest for balance in the personal domain uh, like this is a personal podcast is mm-hmm. my podcast after all is not always necessary okay. for example there are ideologies that i find repulsive mm-hmm. right i will never bring in say a hindutva bigot here who will argue that muslims don't belong in india mm. i find that kind of thinking so repulsive i will never have him here okay. equally i will never bring in somebody here who um uh for example doesn't care about individual rights or who believes in mass scale coercion or social engineering again i find that equally repulsive why should i engage with those people those ideas are dangerous do you not subscribe to the idea that if you get someone like that you and him or her will find a common ground somewhere and they each of you go back with something sure no i'd love to find common ground with conservatives and left liberals but i'm saying there are some categories of people on the far right and the far left that there is no common ground possible with okay so why even try if someone is going to sit across me and tell me that muslims don't belong in india and it's a hindu nation i i don't even want to have that conversation okay. and and maybe it's uh, uh, wrong on my part to react so strongly against that mm-hmm. but i don't want to have that conversation okay uh vimal roy on facebook asked what's closer to you cricket or poker 
Okay, I haven't actually. Um, I've been a poker player and uh, right. a pretty good practitioner. I am not a cricket player, uh, though I bowled three balls to Rahul Dravid and he was clean bowled at two. <laughs> but this was not Whoa. proper cricket. This what was, happened on the third? I used to. I used to work on in, the third ball. <laughs> I used to. I used to work in cricket for. So he had come over and we used to play office cricket with this sort of plasticky kind of ball, uh-huh. which you could squeeze. And I figured out <laughs> okay. a way of squeezing it and imparting phenomenal forward spin. Uh, and the first ball was a wide. The next two he was bowled and then he called me Shoaib when he refused to play. <laughs> Although I had to point out that I wasn't chucking; it was fingers that were generating the pace because of the nature of the ball. Or was he just being good to the managing editor there? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Uh, he, he, he wouldn't give a shit about that. Uh, he's a delightful man, but I don't think he'll get deliberately clean bowled by anyone. <laughs> so, uh, no. But in real, real cricket, I'd be a complete joke. But I love both of them. I, I, I you know, sports are sports. I mean, Vimal's uh, second question was: Do you think Dan Bilzerian made all his money playing poker? Uh, no, of course not. He's just like a celebrity. He's like the Kim Kardashian of uh, that kind of. I mean, this is so, so uh, to, to, to uh, interject, I think mm. uh, you've done a podcast on cricket, right? Like a or a series of audio. Yeah, yeah, I've 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 done. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, me and Prem Panikar, uh, right. the legendary. I remember reading somewhere. Like yeah, yeah. So we've done uh, for for the company Storytel. We did ten um, uh, turning points in Indian cricket, so it's a ten episode yeah. series, wow. which starts with CK Naidu and ends with Virat Kohli. So. Uh, yeah, check that out. Storytel.in, I think. Uh, his third question was, what is the path to legalize traditional vices? And he puts vices in quotes, like sports betting or poker in India. Yeah, I mean, first of all, of course, I uh, agree with him with, with the presumption that they should not be illegal. Uh, they should absolutely be legal. And people conflate match fixing and betting. And I'm like, no, they are completely different things. Right. That uh, legalizing betting will actually stop match fixing. Like, uh, uh, the moment you uh, make something illegal, the underworld gets in. And that increases the chance of nefarious activities like this. A lovely word, nefarious. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what are the chances? Um, I, I, I honestly think that you are not going to do it through reason and logic. Okay. It will only happen if some powerful interest group decides that there is something in it for them. Right. Like, for example, Mukesh Ambani says, I want to do a casino in Bombay. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that's going to be very profitable. Mm-hmm. And then he um, tells the government to change it. And right. change it. <laughs> so, if if something like that happens, right. uh, so if that changes, sometimes laws changing for the better can be because right. of the wrong reasons like this. Right. Alright, last three questions. This one is from Rajesh Bhateja. Uh, his Twitter handle is Bhateja Rajesh. Uh, props to him for sending a screenshot and not typing out the entire question. It's a longish question uh, with a comment. He says, Hi Amit, where and how do you see hope for India? Corruption has gotten into our DNA. Education, perhaps the only hope, is broken. Political scene seems degenerative. Perhaps only thing that worries politicians is winning next election. Valueless lives lost by dozens and hundreds every day in road accidents, medical apathy, violent clashes, etc. Filth all round, missing civic sense. You may say we are a country still in the making and the tolerance to accept this messiness is in some way part of our struggle towards the hope that wo subha kabhi to aayegi. Okay, where's the question? The question uh, look, was first uh, sentence. Uh, wh- where and how do you how see hope for India? Yeah. I think somebody else also asked a question. Let uh, me they asked one book. one good thing and uh, one thing that depresses you and one thing that gives you hope. Yeah, yeah. Politics. So let's uh, let's uh, uh, just name the person in the yeah. Twitter handle. So that question is asked by Rohit Ajit Kumar. One huh. thing that gives you despair, and one thing about Indian politics that gives you hope. Yeah. I think we've spoken about despair a lot. What gives you hope? What gives me hope, and I think I've said this in another context, I think I might have said this in my podcast with libertarianism where Pavan spoke to me. What gives me hope is that many of the um, 
much of what we could not achieve with political struggle maybe technology will do for us maybe okay. technology will empower the individual in ways that political battles could not and uh, so uh, that gives me hope but it's like really an unknown unknown and it can work both ways technology mm-hmm. can actually help governments up, up oppress us more and take more of our uh, powers away in which we for example see with the all pervasive surveillance system of uh, aadhar coming in and right. so on and so forth um so it it can work both ways but i i, I just think that you know technology can empower individuals more than all of this all right you know ivory tower talk okay. has uh at madman web madhu menon uh, asked who is your favorite photographer and why is it me <laughs> <laughs> so madhu menon is my very old friend and all my dps you see of me everywhere on twitter facebook whatever are basically shot by uh, madhu menon brilliant photographer not all he does he ran a great restaurant called shiok which uh, unfortunately no longer exists and i've done an episode with madhu menon on restaurant regulation listen yeah, yeah. i've heard that yeah i've heard that yeah yeah so you should uh, check that out delightful guy and uh, he also on the side uh, good at tech and makes website so the website of pragati thinkpragati.com is oh, okay. again made by oh, okay. madhu menon so my favorite photographer is uh, madhu menon and uh, uh, why because why? i say so it's a circular <laughs> reasoning i'm allowed that uh, once in a while All right. The last question asked by at Vina Venugopal. Uh, Vina Venugopal asks, which lit Twitter on fire. How are you so handsome? Uh, Vina Venugopal <laughs> is messing with me. She's my good friend. She's messing with me. I have a Facebook uh, podcast. I know this has gone on quite long, but I I just want to quickly mention to try to sort of go through um, every uh, question since I've printed out a list. I don't want to leave anyone out. They took the trouble to ask. Um, Satya Pyani from Punni Talks asks: Typical policy making pitfalls that government makes, but private enterprises generally avoid, and pitfalls that both are equally likely to fall into. A, okay, um, because a bass is on my head, I don't want to spend too much time. But I would say that um, more than policy making pitfalls, policy making pitfalls that government makes come uh, if you ignore incentives. if you just look at intentions a private enterprise has to go beyond intentions and think about outcomes because the bottom line depends on it the survival depends on it government enterprises can often do ignore outcomes and do things for good intentions because the optics are good that we are doing this because we care about you regardless of the optics this is especially true for moves which play out over a long period of time because politicians tend to be focused on um, uh the next next elections um uh, so uh, i mean i would have a lot more to say about this but i'll move on um discussion uh, anand hegde again discussion on whether taxation is theft or property is theft i find the notion of property being theft is completely bizarre um and uh, the, the reason for the, it is this and we had um, i had a uh, there was an episode of the scene in the unseen which shruti rajgopalan joined and spoke about the right to property and for a little bit of that she also spoke about the fundamental yeah. philosophical basis of why you need property which is because there is scarcity in the world everybody can't have everything things are scarce yes. and if you don't have a system of property rights you will essentially have chaos and violence all the time you know then what stops me from picking up this mic from ivm podcast and just taking it with me and saying this is now mine and then amit doshi will have to sit here all the time to defend his equipment the world can't function like that you have property rights um for a reason and again i wanted to elaborate on this but we're running out of time um what's the value advantage of voting nota kelvin inc we've been through this we've been through krishna kumar okay someone called avenger at pop underscore mac Uh, which is all Wenger, so it's like I don't know whether he's punning on the Avengers yeah. or Arsene Wenger or both. <laughs> uh, he has a snarky question: What's not wrong with our country? 
which I think is taking a dig at me that maybe I'm too negative or something. I guess. Yeah. What's, what's not wrong with our country? I'll give you a serious answer and it's counterintuitive. What's not wrong with our country is population. From our childhood, no, I'm serious. From our childhood, we've been indoctrinated with the notion that population is a great problem and that is a mistake. I've written columns about this. You can search for them on IndiaUncut.com. That population is our greatest strength because it's a positive sum world. Human beings are, in the words of the economist Julian Simon, the ultimate resource. Ultimate resource, resource yes. So I think what is not wrong with our country, our people are not wrong with our country. And 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 it's interesting, every time someone says India ka problem population, hai, they basically mean everybody else but themselves. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mayur Date uh, at Mayur1441, on what grounds do you support net neutrality? It seems contrary to your belief system. Someone else also asked about net neutrality. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't support net neutrality, I don't oppose it either. Let me explain. What is my belief system? If, if I'm coming from a position of property rights, and this is something I mentioned in my episode on the future of the internet with Nikhil, yeah. where we were arguing, uh, is that I uh, always, when you contest the use of a resource, I look at who owns it. Now, it so happens that Spectrum in this country is owned by the government. Mm-hmm. It's a different argument whether the government should own, own Spectrum, it. and if not, what do you do with it? But given that the government owns the Spectrum, they have the right to set the conditions on it, on how people may use it, and so on. And uh, what the net neutrality advocates like my friend Nikhil were fighting for is that these are the XYZ are the conditions you should set. Others were saying ABC. Uh, they have the right to ask for those conditions as an interest group. Now, personally, uh, I would just say that every ISP should normally have the right to offer whatever it wants to the customers and then you let them compete. Mm-hmm. Nikhil's point was that there isn't real competition, it's a cartel. Mm-hmm. In which case, what the government should do is make sure that there isn't a cartel, that it's a competitive market. And generally, if there is a cartel and if there isn't competition, it's because the government is doing something mm-hmm. wrong, it's getting in the way. Uh, so this is a broad argument. So, uh, but I, 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 on the whole, I think the debate is moot. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, um, but I, I don't either support or oppose it. Uh, you know, more power to Nikhil as one interest group to ask for what he wants to. Um, Mohit Dodwani asked uh, a, a number of uh, questions. I'll kind of skip them because uh, uh, we covered two of them. We so, covered yeah. a couple of them. Um, Shaswat asked a question about, is consent an unseen factor of well-being not captured in the World Happiness Index? Could the lack of it be a reason for India's plummeting rank? I didn't understand the question, Shaswat. I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to, uh, uh, you know, if, 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 if you can clarify exactly what you meant by that, maybe in a future episode. And uh, Euclid asked the same question about why don't I... Uh, Invite someone who has views contrary to mine. I do, bro. I I did, and uh, yeah, and uh, and if you disagree with me, well, uh, come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, is there a way besides funding or joining mainstream politics that NRIs can bring about meaningful, sustainable, and positive change in the country? Anhad Gill at Anhad underscore um, Gill. Uh, again, the same answer yeah. I think uh, that Discovered I uh, g- gave earlier that uh, just try to get your ideas in the culture, talk to more people about it. Don't let your uncles dominate your Facebook groups, your family Facebook groups. Um, and, okay, episode on public sector banks. Oh, we did this, uh, the, the Euclid yeah. uh, question. Um, Okay, uh, question by Pratik Gupta at Pratik Gupta. You talked about free market and healthcare. What do you think is the role of information and asymmetry in terms of healthcare where the consumer doesn't have enough know-how to make a choice if the price or value of a service remains the same? Example, doctor gives me a choice between two vaccinations for my uh, child. One is 8K, the other is 4K. 8K one protects against 15 strains, 4K one protects against 12 strains. I can't make a rational choice because information asymmetry. Uh, 
perfectly uh, very good question again i would have like to spend more time on this but net net i'll say two things uh, net net i'll say that um, uh, that if you don't have a free market here and if you have the government deciding that the government choices will not come from a position of uh, from a benevolent all knowing position the government will be captured by special interest groups uh, who will then dictate what vaccinations uh, they provide and what they don't the classic example of that is that fundamentally the obesity epidemic in america was caused by the sugar lobby funding researchers uh, uh, on health on the one hand and government bodies on the other hand which is why the government gave uh, those guidelines which we now know to be untrue which says saturated fat uh, and cholesterol are bad for you and sugar is perfectly okay and that's really the one single reason for the obesity epidemic at some point i'll do an episode on this but governments are always captured by special interests and uh, uh, therefore i'd rather have a competitive marketplace and if you have a need as a consumer that there is information asymmetry how can you make out the difference i'm sure there'll be players who will then emerge in a marketplace if they are allowed to who will be able to help you mitigate that um um and on the rte episode uh, euclid again asked any particular reason the panelists skipped discussing the sectarian nature of the act um why is it applicable only to non minority institutions well uh, no particular reason we skipped that what what we wanted to focus on is all the unreasonable regulations that the rte puts on private schools which is actually harming education in this country that's kind of what we wanted to focus on so we didn't discuss the sectarian uh, nature and perhaps if i do a future episode i think this episode was with vivek call i'll keep it in mind that this is something that we should take up and in fact by mentioning it i've already taken it up there it's done over don't bring it up again so uh, episode from free trade would help if panelists share example from real life how many countries in the last 50 years are becoming economic uh, powerhouses by following their prescription contrast with experience of china south korea and japan again by euclid um again various examples but wherever markets are freer countries have uh, done well and even the you know people talk about the socialism and the welfare states of the scandinavian countries but if you look at how they became prosperous in the first place it was because of uh, free markets and then they put those uh, welfare systems in place later some of which actually hurt them for more on this just search for johan norberg on youtube just go to youtube and search for johan norberg in scandinavia and you'll find uh, talks by him uh, on this deepang devate wanted to know about net neutrality i have covered this uh, devinder beju uh, at beju uh, vudu odu whatever uh, ask why you stop dreaming okay what he means is i used to start my episodes with i had a, dream. I had a strange dream last <laughs> night and i used to think okay it's kind of funny and i'm going to discuss some serious policy issue i'm doing a little bit of comic humor before that but i got tons of feedback from people saying that it's absolutely horrible <laughs> and uh, uh, so i just stopped it i listened to uh, feedback from my readers because you know you got to do that sometimes and 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 uh, so recently um, Krish Ashok, uh, you you might know of him on yeah, on, on Twitter, yeah. said that uh, hey, he named two foreign podcasts and said one of them is a Sachin Tendulkar podcast and one of them is Rahul the Rahul Dravid podcast. And uh, so I said, what is the Atul Bede Day of podcasts? And he said that my dream intros were the Atul Bede Day. <laughs> Otherwise, my podcast is a Virat Kohli. But the dream intros were uh, Atul uh, Bede Day. So so fine if people feel so strongly about it, might as well not have it. You know, I'm I'm in, maybe I can do a separate dream podcast. um okay bharat shriram is make in india hurting us more than helping us also can you talk about the increasing petrol prices this is from at bharat shriram uh, name is bharat shriram um 
make in india in the sense that it rep- replicates import substitution is helping us you know it's ironic that despite all the things that uh, modi says about nehru that he is imitating nehru in many ways for example nehru harmed this country enormously i mean i'm a big fan of nehru great statesman but economically he harmed us enormously and one of the ways he did that was through import substitution where his idea was that uh, things should be made in india we shouldn't allow uh, foreign companies uh, to make for us which harmed us for various reasons some of which you know if you listen to my episode with anupam madhur on protectionism you'll kind of understand that's that's self defeating and that's exactly what it did to us we defeated ourselves and uh, make in india indicates the same mindset uh, you know frankly it doesn't matter where something is made it just matters that consumers that is citizens like you and me uh, get the best value for money they can and that creates value that they then go on to spend in the economy anyway listen to my episode on protectionism and you'll get a, a sense of that as for the increasing petrol prices i don't know uh, i'm not an expert in this but it does strike me that uh, prime minister modi was incredibly lucky that oil prices worldwide have been so low since 2014 and that's one of the things that's kept the government performing much better than it would otherwise have uh, although he's tried his best to shoot himself in the foot with things like demonetization and the terrible implementation of gst oh, gst <laughs> that's right um okay who's report okay uh, mojo At MK Pin asks, can you address how Modi's political philosophy is hurting India? I am a lone voice in a family of NRI BJP supporters who think if you don't worship Modi, it makes you a Congress supporter. Uh, you know, very good point. I mean, the, 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 I mean, I can't, I can't actually address how it's hurting India because already my, this episode has gone on too long and it will go on for two more days if I do that. But you are right that people are thinking in binaries. You know, all my life as a writer, I've railed against the Congress, I've railed against the Gandhis, and today I keep getting attacked because everybody thinks I'm a Congress supporter because I attack Modi. The thing is, no, they both suck. And right now, one of them is in power, so he sucks a little bit more because he has power. You have to keep uh, opposing, right? So, uh, you know, and and. And no doubt, you know, right now the bhaks hate me. I think they'll probably, whenever the next government change happens, they'll start loving me because they'll see me as one of them. I'm attacking the other guy. Okay, uh, Surekha Pille on uh, Twitter, and we'll end with this. Surekha Pille on Twitter uh, said that she has questions, but she didn't want to ask them. She said, "My questions revolve around policy discussions being exclusive, pragati not talking to the young, and ideology serving individuals more than societies." So she didn't really ask them, but by mentioning what she's not asking, she kind of asked them. So I'll um, uh, so I'll actually try to answer them. Policy discussions being exclusive, I think. Um, she'd actually have to elaborate on that i'm not really sure what uh, she means but if she means that all of us are uh, you know english speaking elites talking in our own little echo chambers and we don't affect the world outside she's absolutely right i mean i don't have a disagreement with that pragati not talking to the young i relaunched pragati last year but it's been running for it ran for 10 years before that i don't Uh, you know pragati is a serious policy magazine but the thing is that it does talk to the young i believe in fact since we relaunched as a website under my editorship uh, since last year we've tried to make it more accessible and the thing is while a lot of its core writers are uh, policy experts and so on retired bureaucrats and whatever we also have a lot of young policy experts writing for us like my friends pravin srinath pranay kotasane hamsini hariharan nidhi gupta Uh, Manasa Venkatraman, outstanding writers, really knowledgeable people, really young, like young millennials or even the generation after that. I don't know how you define these things. Uh, and and uh, what uh, Takshashila, which is a think tank which runs Pragati, keeps doing these courses. Uh, and um, 
Nakul, I think you did one of those yeah, courses yeah, three years ago. Courses, yeah. and, uh, uh, and they keep producing younger and younger policy wonks, many of whom speak the Indian languages, go out in the field, try to make a difference. We've even got a Hindi podcast, which Pranay Kutasani and Saurabh Chandra run. So I think that we do our best to have young voices in the mix, diverse voices in the mix, not just the same old, same old. We do our best uh, as much as we can. And finally, ideology is serving individuals more than societies. Uh, you know, the thing here is that societies are composed of individuals and you have to protect them all and uh, you know it's like that famous saying goes about an individual being the smallest minority you must protect all your minorities including individuals and people who talk about societies over individuals who talk about the greater common good and so on and so forth look where the leaders the communists did that the fascists did that the uh, maoists uh, do that anyone who talks about the greater common good and about society is not talking about society as a whole they're talking about these specific interests group or class of people that they represent whose good they want the thing is i automatically believe that if you protect everybody's individual rights then you know society will flourish it's a positive sum game just protect everybody let voluntary interactions take place between uh, individuals in a society and we'll all do really well but whenever in the name of a group you try to clamp down on an individual you are hurting all of society all of humanity and on that grandiose note i will thank surekha for uh, not asking this question that she found a cunning way to ask <laughs> and uh, nakul and rachit thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show thanks and, thanks for uh, having us thank yeah. you thanks amrit and abbas abbas thanks a lot bro thank you so much If you're still here, one and a half hours later, thank you so much for listening to this full show. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Amit Verma, A M I T V A R M A, and you can browse past episodes of the Seen and the Unseen on SeenUnseen dot i n. Thank you so much. The Scene and the Unseen is co-produced by Indus Vox Media Podcasts and you can check out other IVM podcast shows on their app or website especially a new one called Akanksha Against Harassment hosted by Akanksha Srivastava this show discusses cyber crimes and how to make the internet a safe place for one you can stop browsing and start listening episodes out every Thursday As you can see We have a podcast listener in his natural habitat. Millions of years of evolution have led him to this point. He's on his way to work and listening to podcasts makes his miserable day better. He will now head to work and use all his knowledge to communicate with other colleagues and possibly future mates. You can find more of his species on ivmpodcasts.com. Your one-stop destination where you can check out all the coolest indian podcasts happy listening